Welcome to the Did You Know podcast, where the focus is on rare diseases, how modern medicine is treating these conditions, including the latest breakthroughs in research, and how people cope with their diagnosis and healing. Your host is Dana Morrow, known for her video series on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook called Did You Know Ataxia Facts? 300 videos have been produced and seen in 17 countries to date. And now, your host, Dana Morrow. Hi, Noataxia Nation, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast. I'm really excited to be joined today by Melissa Biner and also Laura Ruggiero, and they're from Biohaven. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Listen, I um, want to highlight a study that you have going on right now, and I thought that our the people in our listening audience would like to know about it. So, Melissa, can you tell me a little bit about this study that's going on? So this study, in this study, were enrolling patients with SCAs 1, 2, 3, 6, 7, 8, and 10. We did have a limited cap on the SCA 3, 6, 7, 8, and 10 population. That patient population has already enrolled. So currently for the rest of the trial, we are enrolling SCA 1 and SCA 2 patients. Okay, so how would I know if if I qualify for that, like if, I, if I'm one of those genotypes, how would I know that? Well, so for example, a lot of our investigators across the country, their patients have already been tested for these specific genotypes. But you're right, there are many, many, many other patients out there in the community who have what's called an autosomal dominant pattern of ataxia in their family. In other words, they have a direct family member who has the same form of ataxia as them, but they don't necessarily know what their genotype is. Um, Sometimes it's because it's not been offered to them. Sometimes it's because it's very cost prohibitive, which is why in our study, we're actually paying for genotyping. So at this point in our study, even though we're only enrolling SCA 1s and 2s, we are including genotype testing for SCA 1, 2, and 3. And part of the reason we're doing that is because we know in testing for SCA 1, 2, and 3, in patients with ataxia with this pattern of inheritance, we're going to get a 50% chance of getting exactly what their genotype is. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. So when does this clinical study start? So it has started. Okay. It kicked off in March okay. of this year. Um, we currently have 21 sites participating in the study. And are those um, sites across the country, Laura? Across the U.S., Across yep. the U.S., Okay. Yep, 17 of which are open to enroll subjects, and then the remainder will be up and running within the month or so. So how does the general ataxia population learn of these? Do they learn of this clinical study through their neurologist, or are, you know, is there some other way that it gets publicized? So there's a variety of ways. I mean, we have a, a great uh, relationship with the National Ataxia Foundation. So they have been wonderful in advertising the study on their website via social media and newsletters. Yep. They've sent information out to the neurologists, the network of neurologists that they have, um, and most recently gave us the opportunity to sponsor some walk and roll events. So we're hoping to get the word out that way. Okay. Um, and then we've also partnered with Cords as well as Nord. So Many people may be familiar with them who are um, rare disease patient registries so people can opt in to find out information about clinical trials. Yeah, and that's so critical. Like one of the things that we've done with the podcast is we've tried to really emphasize the importance of 
registering for a patient yeah. registry right. because it just opens up this whole world to you about all these clinical trials that you may be eligible for and wouldn't that be wonderful if one of them ends up helping you so absolutely yeah 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 and we have a study website as well which is www.scatrial.org okay so we'll link to yeah. that so people don't have to remember yeah the link. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so that has some inf- more information about the study what it entails and where the participating research sites are across the US oh that's that's really yeah. great so i know there might be a little bit of a mystique around clinical trials and so can we try to demystify that for people? So I think it's one of those terms that is ambiguous to people, right? Like clinical trials, I've heard about it. I understand that I am going to participate in a drug trial. But like what happens and what um, can the patient expect if they do decide to sign up for a clinical trial? Well, you know, we were talking about this earlier too where I was telling you that my sister-in-law recently enrolled in a clinical trial for oncology. Mm -hmm. And it was eye-opening to me working on the flip side of this. And the interesting thing is in, you know, pharmaceutical companies, um, people have this misconception that we've got these huge labs and we're studying Mm -hmm. patients and this... It's kind of like Frankenstein's lab. You know, everybody's got the things on their head with the (laughs) electrodes and everything. Yeah. Yes. And I can speak to Biohaven specifically, too, where um, most of the physicians, like myself, our CEO, our CMO, we were all in clinical practice as physicians for a while um, and then went into biotech in the hopes of actually developing these drugs that can help large patient populations. So for all of our trials... There's a medical lead um, who's usually a physician, like myself, for our spinocerebellar ataxia studies. We have another ataxia study at Biohaven in multiple system atrophy that actually um, Dr. Irfan Qureshi in our company is leading for our company. And he's been a practicing neurologist for years. Now he works specifically just in biotechnology. And then there's a clinical lead like Laura for every trial, who makes sure that all of this works smoothly for patients, all of the guidelines are met, how we get our sites up and running, how we get our patients enrolled in these studies. But at the end of the day, we know our drug, we know the science behind it, so we are involved in designing these clinical trials. We don't conduct these clinical trials. So I can speak specifically to ataxia, we have a relationship with neurologists across the country who are leading world experts in ataxia, who have been treating these patients for years and years, dedicated their lives to this patient population. They are the ones who are out there in the field who are actually enrolling these patients, monitoring, many of them are their own patients. They yeah. mm-hmm. go through their own database yep. and they give their patients the option of, look, you know, this is an option for you to in, you know, enroll in this clinical trial and then they follow their patients. So we have no hand in any direct interaction with the patients. We are designing these clinical trials for these neurologists to run. Which is really an important uh, thing to distinguish because I think um, it's a partnership, right? It's a partnership between the patient, their neurologist, and the pharmaceutical company. And I just think that it's a it's a misconception i think a lot of times that people think oh you know i'm going to be working directly with the pharmaceutical company and i'm going to be advancing their interests 
And yeah. that's not the case. No, and that's what surprised me yeah. so much when my sister-in-law said, well, I don't want to work with these people who are developing. And I said, I said to my sister-in-law, no, no, you're only going to be working with your oncologist. Right. Yeah. So and I then her experience was great. Yeah, I think And people important. don't realize, too, that with these clinical trials, you're monitoring is pretty extensive during these trials. Absolutely. So you're getting yeah. a level of care and a level of detail to the progression of your disease that you may not get if you're just see, following up regularly with your neurologist. Yeah. So there are some of those perks as well. Right? There are some of those perks, and I think the other perk to it all is that you may actually have an opportunity to um, participate in a study with a drug that actually helps you mm-hmm. or could retard the progression of your particular ataxia, right. which is how fabulous is that? And you would be on the cutting edge of that. Yeah, and even participating, like we said, in these natural history trials, they lay the groundwork for future clinical trials. So even if you're just participating in a trial with your own neurologist where there's no intervention, they're just following in very great detail the course of how you progress over time. That gives invaluable information Mm -hmm. to inform clinical trials in what are we looking for in what we measure to determine whether a specific intervention is halting that progression or reversing that progression. Yeah. So those those trials are really important as well. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming and telling us about the study. Thank and I'm you hoping so much. that this podcast really um, highlights that and gets you some more people to participate. Yeah, thank you for thank giving you. us the opportunity to yeah. increase awareness about this. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening in to the Did You Know podcast with your host, Dana Morrow. Please subscribe to this channel to hear all of the latest podcasts. We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable information and inspires you to advocate for yourself and educate everyone in your circle. Remember, you are the expert and best spokesperson for your rare disease. Thank you. Thank you.